And I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. We are continuing in our study of Paul's message and ministry to the church in Thessalonica. Paul, Silas, and Timothy ministered for a short period of time in Thessalonica before they were run out of Thessalonica. After they were run out of town, Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the believers there in the church they planted. Later, Timothy returned and met up with Paul in Corinth, and Timothy shared a good report with Paul about the believers in the church in Thessalonica, about how they were growing in their faith in Christ Jesus, how they were standing firm in their faith in Christ Jesus, and how much they loved them, missed them, and looked forward to seeing them again. Paul knew these believers in Thessalonica were dealing with opposition for their faith in Christ Jesus, and he knew they had some questions for him. And so Paul sat down in Corinth and he wrote 1 Thessalonians, this letter to the believers at the church in Thessalonica to encourage them to continue growing in their faith in Jesus, to encourage them to stand firm in their faith in Jesus, and to encourage them by answering the questions that they had about their faith in Christ Jesus. Paul once again reminded us in this passage, when God is at work in us, Satan is at work on us. Let me say that again. When God is at work in us, Satan is at work on us. Spiritual warfare is real. Paul knew this. Silas knew this. Timothy knew this. And we know this as well today. Thankfully, as followers of Jesus Christ, we also know that we are victors in Christ Jesus. Greater is he who's in us than he who is in the world. Amen? He is greater uh, than whatever or whoever that comes against us. And we walk in our victory in Jesus by the power of Jesus in us. And we made our way into chapter 2. And in chapter 2, where we're at this morning, as we will uh, continue moving forward through chapter 2, we find Paul sharing a defense of their ministry in Thessalonica. False teachers, Jewish religious leaders, and others were attempting to discredit Paul, Silas, and Timothy's ministry in Thessalonica. They spread false teaching. They practiced impure living. They opposed Paul's preaching and teaching of the gospel of God. They were using trickery and deceit uh, and underhanded methods to try to get people to leave the church and follow them. Paul's message in ministry was from God, for God, and used by God to change lives for eternity. When you stop and think about it, our message in ministry, each one of us has a message in ministry from God. Our message in ministry is from God, it's for God, and it's to be used by God to change lives for eternity. As followers of Jesus Christ, we get a front row seat to see God do his work in us, through and around us for the glory of his name. And we're going to continue this morning looking at God's work in, through, and around Paul and these believers in the church in Thessalonica. And we'll see how that relates to you and me uh, this day and this week. So, Father God, we thank you for these moments. We ask now that, God, you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit through the teaching of your word. God, we know you're at work. You've been at work all this morning getting us to this point. 
And so, Father, you've been speaking to us as we've worshiped you through song, as we've fellowshiped and encouraged one another. And now, God, you're going to speak to us by your spirit in us through your word. So, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have to say to us. Open our eyes to the wonderful truth in your word. So that, Father God, we may walk in it, that we may obey it. We may do exactly what it is you ask us to do, knowing that that is the best for us and for those around us. So, God, we're excited about what you're going to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. First Thessalonians chapter two. Let's do a real quick review uh, of where we've been and that'll transition us into where we're going. Paul said in chapter two, verse one, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. Paul said our visit in Thessalonica, though it was very brief in its quality or in its quantity of time, it was powerful in its quality. Paul said our visit was not a failure. It was actually a huge success. How did Paul know this? Well, there were many reasons. Paul knew that people in Thessalonica turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Paul knew that a church was planted in Thessalonica. And Paul also knew that this church that was planted in Thessalonica became a model for all the other churches around them and even beyond them in the Greco-Roman world. And so Paul knew that their visit in Thessalonica was a huge success. Paul continued in verse two, on the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Paul and Silas suffered outrageous treatment in Philippi before they made it to Thessalonica. We shared about this passage that Luke wrote in Acts. We shared that Paul and Silas were publicly stripped, humiliated, beaten, and flogged because of their faith in Jesus in Philippi. Paul said, in spite of the great opposition, in spite of the outrageous treatment that we experienced in Philippi, we were emboldened by God. We were freed up by God. We were strengthened by God to speak the gospel of God in Thessalonica. Paul shared the how of their ministry in verse two, the how of their ministry. How did Paul, Silas, and Timothy preach the gospel of God in spite of great opposition? The how is they did it by the power of God, by the power of God. They were emboldened by God. The how of Paul's ministry is by the power of God. We continue in verse three, Paul said, for our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Paul shared with these believers in Thessalonica that their message and ministry, their exhortation, their message and ministry of the gospel did not come from three accusations. Paul said, number one, our message was not false. Our message didn't come from error. That means our message was not false. It was not faulty. Our message didn't lead people away from God. Our message led people instead to God. Paul secondly said our motives were not impure. Paul said, we weren't trying to teach people to follow us. We weren't trying to draw people to us. We were trying to point people to God. We were trying to point people to the God who was mighty to save. We were trying to help folks serve the living and true God. Paul said, we were not trying to make ourselves famous. We were trying to make Jesus famous. And then Paul also said, our methods were not deceitful. Paul said, you know, we were not trying to trick or deceive you. They were not trying to trick or deceive the Thessalonians. 
so that they could receive the gospel under some trickery so that then Paul, Silas, and Timothy could take advantage of them or get rich off of them. They weren't doing that. You see, Paul was defending the authenticity, the sincerity, the truthfulness, the reliability of their message and ministry to the believers in the church in Thessalonica. The false teachers spread false teaching. The false teachers had impure motives. The false teachers used deceptive and deceitful methods to try to trick folks to leave the church and follow them. And so we continue in verse four, as Paul says, instead, we weren't trying to do any of those things. Instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. Here's the why. Paul shared the how of their ministry in verse two. Paul shared the why of their ministry in verse four. Why did Paul, Silas and Timothy, preach the gospel of God in spite of severe opposition? Because they wanted to please God. The how, Paul's ministry, the how of Paul's ministry by the power of God, the why of Paul's ministry, to please God. They were seeking to please God, not people. Paul said, we were approved by God. That word approved, as we looked last week, means to test, to examine, to scrutinize in order to prove the sincerity, the genuineness of someone or something. It's usually used in uh, the process of metalworking. But Paul here said that we were approved by God, which means they were tested by God, examined by God, scrutinized by God, and they were found to have a sincere faith in God. God saw Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He knew their faith in him was sincere. They were genuine in their faith in him. And we know that because they were tested, examined, and approved by God. So God saw this. That, that means, as Paul continued, for we were approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Because they've been approved by God, God entrusted them with the gospel. That word entrusted means to have confidence in. God had confidence in Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Confidence that they would not only preach the gospel and teach the gospel, but also that they would live out the gospel. Why? Because he had tested them. He had examined them. He had approved them. And so we know Paul, Silas, and Timothy, which is the message he's sharing with these believers, Paul, Silas, and Timothy preached and they taught and they ministered not to please people, but rather to please God who examines their hearts. And so we know today we have been approved by God, by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And we have been entrusted by God, with the gospel of God. Each of us as followers of Jesus, we have been entrusted by God with his gospel. We are called to preach this gospel, teach this gospel, share this gospel, live out this gospel to all those that God places around us. We know that we are to live and love and preach and teach and serve and share and minister, not to please people, but rather to please God who examines our hearts. And we find now, as we continue moving forward in this passage in chapter two, Paul continues to share instruction and encouragement with us 
as to how we can please God. How we can, in fact, live our lives, preach and teach, how we can not only be approved by God, but entrusted by God with the gospel, how we can then live our lives to please God who examines our hearts. We continue in verse five and six, and Paul continued and said, for we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Look at verse five, stop with the first word, four. Four is a connector for the verse four to the verses that follow. Four connects, Paul's saying, I'm gonna connect what I just said in verse four with what I'm getting ready to say in verses five and following. And so we know Paul finished verse four by talking about pleasing God rather than pleasing people. And so Paul now shares with us ways we can please God. So we're gonna look at some of these ways as we make our way through this passage. The first way is we please God as we speak God's truth in love. We please God as we speak God's truth in love. Paul said in verse five, for we never, that is there for emphasis, the never, that means they never, ever, absolutely, positively never used flattering speech. Paul said, we never used false praise. We never used insincere compliments. We never used smooth talk to entice the believers into receiving the gospel or to try to persuade them in any way. We never used flattering speech to try to gain influence over the Thessalonians. Flattery is often used by people to gain power or influence over people so they can ultimately get them to do what they want them to do. Flattery is, quite honestly, most often deceptive speech that comes along with deceptive purposes. And Paul said, we never used flattering speech. I like what someone once said, there are only two groups of people that fall for flattery, men and women. And we know uh, that there's some truth to that. Believe it or not, God warns us quite a bit in his word about flattery, about flattering speech. I'll just give you a few examples. These are just a few. You can jot these down, these addresses down as we make our way through. David the psalmist, Psalm chapter five, in verses nine and 10, David was talking about his enemies, those who were opposing him. And David said these words, this is an awesome passage. Just get a hold of this. For there is nothing reliable in what they say. Destruction is within them. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongues. Punish them, God. How about that? Look at that. That's a whole nother sermon. Punish them, God. Let them fall by their own schemes. Drive them out because of their many crimes, for they rebel against you. Solomon, not to be outdone said in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. There's hate behind lying tongues. And a flattering mouth causes ruin. A flattering mouth 
causes ruin. Paul jumped in the game previously to this passage, and Paul was talking in Romans. He was talking to the believers in the church in Rome, and Paul was specifically talking about those who cause dissension, those who cause division, those who create havoc within churches, those who rise up within the church, those who come outside the church and try to cause dissension and problems within the church. And he was warning the believers at the end of his letter, uh, the letter to Romans there. And he said in Romans 16 and verse 18, listen to what he said. I'll read 17. It's not on the screen, just real quick. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching of that you learned. Avoid them, he said. Then he said this, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. I think it's safe to say that we need to stay away from flattery. Safe to say. Paul spoke humbly and honestly to the Thessalonians. He said, we we never used flattering speech. Paul was emboldened by God to speak God's truth in love. Paul spoke the gospel of God by the power of God at work in and through him by the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwelled in him as he relied on God. So for you and me today, our first application is we need to understand and realize we please God as we speak God's truth and love. We please God today as we speak God's truth in love. As Paul told us in the book of Ephesians, Speaking God's truth in love allows us to grow up in our faith in Christ Jesus. Speaking God's truth in love allows us to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Speaking God's truth in love allows us to be effective witnesses for Christ Jesus. We are emboldened by God to speak the gospel of God humbly, honestly, and truthfully by the power of God at work in our lives as we rely on God day by day. We need to understand this warning, and even more than that, we need to heed this warning to never use flattering speech. Peter encouraged us in his first letter, and he said this. He said, if we as followers of Jesus Christ speak, we literally should speak as if we're speaking the very words of God, so that God may be glorified in everything. When the psalmist encouraged us uh, to practice this discipline as we start each day all through our day and as we end each day it's a wonderful discipline for us to practice it's a necessary discipline for us to practice the psalmist said that we should pray along with him father god may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight for you god are my rock and my redeemer for you god are the reason that i live and move and have my being for you god is the one that i want to please to seek to make sure that we are speaking God's truth in love, understanding and realizing that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So our heart must be right with God in order for our words to come from God. Paul's point is well taken, and it's well taken from different perspectives. There's a specific reference here in mind, and, and we'll touch on that in just a second. But there's a general reference as well. Paul's reminding us that our words bless and burden our words help and hurt our words build up and tear down our words point people to jesus and our words turn people away from jesus 
So therefore, we need to be very careful with the words we speak because they carry great weight. Now, this is a wonderful truth. It's a general truth for all of our relationships, the marriage relationship, our parenting relationships with our children, our our friendships. It's a wonderful truth. But Paul was being even more specific here. And what Paul was saying and Paul was encouraging is we need to speak God's truth and love. You see, we need to be very clear. We need to be humble and we need to be honest as we speak the gospel of God. We need to be very clear in our world today, just as they needed to be clear in their world at this point in time. We need to be very clear as we speak the gospel of God. The gospel of God, again, is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which opens the way for us to receive forgiveness of sins and to enter into a relationship with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. Salvation is the gift of God that is available to everyone who will believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, and receive Jesus by faith. And so knowing this gospel message the message that victory is ours in Christ Jesus, eternity with God is ours by faith in Christ Jesus, we need to be careful. We don't need to use flattering speech or deception in any way. We need to be very clear and very careful, very honest, very humble as we use the words that God calls us to use as we talk about the gospel, as we preach and teach and share the gospel. We need to be very specific, very clear as we're talking about the gospel. We can just hold on to a few points that will allow us to maintain this clarity. Speaking about the gospel, we can just hone it in to just a few points. Point number one, we're all sinners. And we know the Bible talks about that, and we can use that point to dive off into the scriptures, Romans 3.23, and others that talk about our sin. And we know that as sinners, our sin separates us from God. Second point, number one, we're sinners. Second point is we are separated from God because of our sin against God. That second point focuses on we need help. We need help. We need someone that can take away our sin and get us to God. We're sinners. We need help. We need a savior. A third point is real simple. Jesus is our savior. And again, scripture can support these three points. Jesus is our savior. We're going to share the gospel of God in a very clear and honest and humble and truthful manner with your, fr- your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your teammates, your neighbors, whatever the case may be, your family members. We are sinners. We need a savior. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is the one who took our place on the cross and paid our price for sins. Jesus died and rose again, opening the way for us to know God personally, abundantly, eternally. And the fourth point was we just simply need to believe in Jesus and receive him by faith. Believe in him and receive him by faith. Salvation is something we must receive. The victory has been won on the cross by Jesus. We must receive That victory that God extends to us by his grace to us through our faith and trust in Christ Jesus. And so we see Paul sharing here that one of the ways that we are able to please God is by speaking God's truth in love. Watching our words. Being careful not to fall prey to flattering speech. Making sure that our words bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Paul then says, for we never used flattering speech as you know. So Paul reminded these believers that they knew that he and Silas and Timothy didn't use flattering speech with them because they live with them 
As you remember in, verse, in chapter 1, Paul said, For you know how we lived with you for your benefit. So chapter 1 said, you guys know how we lived with you. And chapter 2, Paul says, you guys know how we spoke to you. You know, he said, we never use flattering speech. He's saying, you know this. You saw us. You lived with us. We live with you. The second way we're able to please God, Paul then continued and said, is we please God as we live generously. Paul said, for we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. Paul said the believers in Thessalonica knew that he, Silas, and Timothy were not motivated by greed. They knew. He says, you know, you know. We, had, we didn't have greedy motives. You know we weren't trying to take advantage of you or to deceive you or to get rich off of you. Paul said, you know, we never use flattering speech as a cover to influence you or to persuade you or to uh, use you for personal monetary gain. We never did that. You see, Paul, Silas, and Timothy instead lived generously among the Thessalonian believers. They focused on giving, not getting. And Paul shares about this as we continue looking in verse 7. Paul said, although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you as a nurse nurtures her own children. Paul said, we did not exercise our right as ministers of the gospel to receive compensation from you, they didn't exercise their right to receive compensation from the Thessalonians, which was their biblical right as ministers of the gospel. Paul told Timothy, jot this town, you can turn to your right because it's not far. You just got to go a couple of pages. If you turn to your right in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, in verse 17, I may actually throw in verse 18. It'll be 17 on the screen. Uh, Paul talked about God's blessing on the elders, pastors, preachers, and teachers of the word and the right for that blessing uh, from the local church. Paul said in verse 17, the elders who are good leaders are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker is worthy of his wages. Paul said, hey, listen, we didn't exercise our right to receive compensation from you while we were in Thessalonica. Paul instead, as you continue reading on, and we will, Paul said, we worked day and night so that we could pay for our stay during our brief time in Thessalonica. Paul said, we worked hard day and night so that we could pay our way for our stay, our three-week stay there, in Thessalonica. And Paul uh, continued and said in verse 8, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you have become dear to us. And so what Paul was saying is we loved the believers in Thessalonica. Paul saying we loved you believers and we cared for you as a nursing mother cares for her children. We gave and we cared and we shared. Notice the connector here in verse 8. Notice the connector. What comes before share? Care. 
Notice verse 8. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share. They cared, and that motivated their sharing. And so we see Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they lived generously among these believers. We please God today as we live generously. As we look to give, not get. As we look to bless, not be blessed. As we go first in taking the initiative and helping ease one another's burdens and helping meet one another's needs. As we give to one another, it indicates and shows that we truly care about one another. You see, they said they cared. Paul said, we cared. So much so we loved you guys like a nursing mother loves her children. We cared about you guys so much so you guys have become so dear to us that we shared with you. And so we know this is God's desire for us. God wants us to live generously. Now, we know this because God is the greatest giver that ever lived. God is the ultimate giver. God, if you want to put it in today's lingo, is the undisputed, undefeated champion of giving. Never has been defeated, never will be defeated. We simply cannot outgive God in any form or fashion, no matter what target you want to look at in regards to giving. We can't outgive God. Can't do it. And so we know that God has blessed us with all we are and all we have. God has blessed each of us with all we are and all we have. God has blessed us, according to Ephesians 1 verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Now that's good. God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. God has blessed us with all we are and all we have. And God wants us to care and share just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He wants us to care and share. As we live generously, we imitate God. As we live generously, we please God. As we live generously, we are blessed by God. As we live generously, live generously we're able to be a blessing to others for God. As we live generously. Remember, this is important. Remember, we do not have to be rich in order to be generous. Do not make that connection in your mind because it's a faulty connection. Being generous does not mean you have to be rich. Paul's told us being generous simply means being willing to share our lives with one another. We care so much about you that we shared our lives with you. That's what it means. It means being willing to share all we are and all we have with one another. Just like Paul said. This is what God wants from us. If you stop and think about it, this is the testimony of the first church in Jerusalem. Remember back to the book of Acts. They gave so generously Every one of them gave sacrificially. Those who had homes and properties gave homes and properties. Those who didn't gave what they could, and they all gave generously. They all lived generously, and guess what? Nobody had a need. Nobody had a need. Every need was met. Every burden was taken care of. Why? Because they lived generously. These believers in Thessalonica grabbed onto that truth, and they began to live generously. And I firmly believe that's true of this church family as well. 
We see it throughout our ministries. We see it throughout our life teams. We see it week in and week out, month in and month out. We see it even through our Dollar Day ministry. That is just one ministry of the many ministries that we have here in this church. And that's God's desire for us is we please him as we live generously, as we honor him, as we imitate him, as we live generously, he sees, recognizes, and blesses that. As we share with one another all we are and all we have, we can't share more than what we have because we can only share what we have. And what God desires is for each of us to live generously. And he, as we do that, will bless and provide for our every need. This is what Paul was saying and reminding these believers. Hey, we please God as we speak his truth and love. We please God as we live generously. Paul said, for we never use flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. Now that's a strong statement. Paul said that God is our witness. What was Paul saying? He reminded the believers that God alone examines the hearts, right? God alone sees the heart. And Paul said, remember, God has seen our hearts. He has examined our hearts. He has tested our hearts and he's approved us. He's approved us. So what Paul was saying here is God is our witness. You guys know this, but listen, even if you're not sure about this, almighty God is sure because he's approved us to come and share the gospel with you so that you can have confidence in what we're saying and what we're preaching and what we're teaching and how we're living and how we're sharing, and how we're caring, how we're loving. So he was saying, Paul and Esther was saying, we are not like the false teachers who use flattering speech, who were motivated by greed. Paul's saying, that's, that's not us. And then Paul continued and said, we please God as we live humbly. Look at what he said as we continue in verse 6. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Paul said, that we please God as we live humbly. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were seeking to please God, not people. They were not driven by a desire for the applause, approval, and acceptance of people. They weren't pursuing people's praise. They were living their lives to please an audience of one, that one being Almighty God. They lived humbly because they knew God was in charge. They knew God was in control. They knew they had been saved by God's grace. They knew they had been filled with God's spirit. They knew they had been approved by God and entrusted by God with the gospel of God. They knew that they would be emboldened by God to preach and teach and live out the gospel of God as they relied on God and depended on God day by day. And therefore, they preached the gospel. They taught the gospel. They preached God's word in season and out of season, when it was convenient, when it wasn't convenient. They didn't tell people what they wanted to hear. They didn't tickle people's ears with myths and fables like the false teachers were doing. No, they told people what people needed to hear from the truth of God's word. They spoke God's words inspired by God's Holy Spirit to God's people. They told people what God told them to say to people because God knew, the heart, knew their hearts and he knew what they needed to hear. Why? Because they were seeking to gain God's applause, approval, and acceptance. Paul, Silas, and Timothy knew that recognition and honor from people at times will come and it's okay to receive it at times in the proper way it's meant to be received as encouragement from Almighty God, but they were not driven by a desire for it. It's not their desire. So we see here as well, another application point for us is we please God as we live humbly. 
today. As we live humbly, you know, humility is not thinking of ourselves, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, humility is thinking of ourselves less. It just simply means that we understand who we are in Christ Jesus and what we've been called to do by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. It means we understand and realize we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel of God. You see, it means we must resist the need to please people. We must resist becoming people pleasers. We must resist pursuing people's praise. You see, when we are seeking praise from people, that's when we get caught up in trying to use flattering speech. When we're focused on people and the applause of people, when that is our driver, when that is our motivator, when that is what we desire, then the enemy is able to use that to lead us into all kinds of trouble. You see, God wants us to focus on pleasing him and him alone. Whatever that means, whatever changes that requires, whatever commitments that demands, we are called to please God and to seek his acceptance, his approval, his applause. And we are able to focus on this truth. We're able to seek to please God, not people. We're able to resist this need to be people pleasers as we keep our eyes on God. As we keep our eyes on God, we're reminded that God is in charge, that God is in control, that we've been saved by God's grace, that we've been filled with God's spirit, that we have been approved by God and entrusted by God with the gospel and that God will embolden us. He will free us up. He will strengthen us to preach and teach and to live out his gospel day by day as we rely on him, as we depend on him will allow us the motivation that we need to preach and teach the word in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not, when it's popular and when it's not. It will inspire us to share with people what they need to hear, that being the truth of God's word, instead of tickling their ears with myths and fables, instead of seeking to gain their approval with flattering speech. No, we'll speak God's truth in love to them and humble gentle way because we know that's what is best for us therefore we know that's what's best for them and you see we are reminded of the truth of God's word that supports this reality for you and me God has told us in his word over and over again he opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble as we humble ourselves before the Lord he will lift us up in due time which is his time which is the right time and he will embolden us to do all that he asks us to do you see, life is about pleasing God, not us. Life is about God, not us. Life is about making Jesus famous, not us. Like what one pastor said, if you get to a point in time when you have to choose between pleasing God and someone else, please God, he's more likely to remember. And there's truth to that. Please God. Please God. Let's please God. God desires and deserves all our honor and glory and praise. He desires us to get up each day and go through our day focused on pleasing him 
in spite of the great opposition that comes against us. Each of these ways that we have shared and that we will continue to share, I'm sure next Sunday, Lord willing, each of these ways that we are called to please God are quite honestly just expressions of our faith in God. Which makes sense because the writer of Hebrews told us without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly, diligently, faithfully seek him. It is impossible, say that with me, it is impossible to please God apart from faith in God. And we demonstrate our faith in God by the hard work of obedience to God. Dr. Tony Evans, a prominent pastor and author, said this, Faith means that you believe God so much that you're going to act on what he says. God is the way maker. He is our provider. He does miracles. But most of the time, God works through the very ordinary act of obeying whatever he said to do. We please God as we live by faith in God. We please God. As we walk in obedience to God, pleasing God, quite honestly and amazingly, is pleasing to us. Pleasing God blesses us. Pleasing God allows us to bless one another. Pleasing God allows us to bless those around us. You see, pleasing God is best for us. We cannot go wrong. Seeking to please God, seeking his applause, his approval, his acceptance. As we live in his power, alive in us. Let's please God this morning as we respond to God by our faith in God. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in this time of prayer.